0: everyone and welcome to Total Football Debate episode 45. There's three of us today. We have the return of Jace and we have Cossie. But I have one question. Has anyone seen Cookie? <laughs> Has anyone seen the
1: Arsenal boy? Where's he at? I suspect, like all the other fans we had at Selfhurst two weeks ago, they're probably hiding after they got their asses handed to them. Not once, not just by the eagles, but by the pussy seagulls as well. Well and truly
0: shat on by the birds, I'd say. It's, it's all right being shat on but, by an eagle, but, but a seagull?
1: He was on the side.
2: Anyone who concedes two goals to Brighton <laughs> deserves to lose. Even me, as a Norwich fan, who, who like you know we've been shambolic this season. We haven't even conceded to Brighton, for fuck's sake, but fuck take, we've taken two points off them.
0: Yeah, but they'd beat—they'll beat Brighton. That's that's part of their their win well, in, the, in, yeah, in April, yeah. isn't it? They'll beat well, Brighton. I well, know well, 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 we'll we beat Southampton. Well, we would have beaten them if it wasn't for VAR. Like, it a ridiculous
2: decision. Yeah, he's behind the keeper, mate, and there's only one defender there. But, that, that, to see yes, because they were just making sure it was the correct boot that was offside.
1: Monday night time for everyone at Salahurst, are they?
0: Well, I don't, I don't know what segment I'm more excited for.
1: Can we just appreciate the fact that Arsenal Football Club, over the space of five days, have lost 5-1 on aggregate to Brighton and Crystal Palace?
2: The only time that you'll use those two teams in the same sentence and not call them a bunch of wankers. So I'm quite impressed. Jason has actually moved on from, you know, just cursing whenever Brighton's name is mentioned. So fair play to Jason for for, for saying that.
0: That is very, 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 very true. I'll, I'll give the, you that, Jace.
2: The C- Seagull Simon Anger management course is treating you well, mate.
1: <laughs> Very well. I um, would say that the government's got slammed dunked.
0: <laughs> I like that. We'll save all of them for the second segment. <laughs> uh, this isn't the all-star game, Jace. So we'll save this for the uh, second segment because we we sure as hell will come on to, to that because I've got a lot of uh, thanking to give to Seagull Simon for once. You are not part of the... Uh, the insults this week um, you'll be pleased to hear so you'll be able to listen to the second podcast out of the 45 that we've recorded so far which aren't insulting you um, so as usual first segment televised games second segment will be all the others including the middle where we cover off a few bits and pieces to say we had a few big games would be an understatement probably one of the biggest weeks of te- weekends of televised football i'd say uh in terms of context we'll find out how much context for certain teams that's for sure um because you start to look at the table and you just wonder is it the false hope that kills some of us <laughs> that is the issue um it would be wrong of me however to to not start with the main event. Um, Norwich Burnley, yeah? Correct, yes. <laughs> Super Sunday.
2: You were in for a massive treat of Super Sunday and you see that as the, the opening game of Super Sunday. <laughs>
0: brilliant, brilliant. No, we will talk about Norwich Burnley, Cossey, and its wonderful music that was played twice. How about that? There's a, that's a record for the ages. But no, we do have to talk about the... Um, Well, I guess, I wonder, can I phrase it this way? I saw a tweet earlier that said, have we ever seen a higher standard of football played between two teams in one game? Which is quite a big statement, considering the quality of games we've witnessed before in a title race. But in terms of technique and attacking flair, you do wonder, especially when you've got fullbacks turning players inside out, Maybe doesn't say much for the defence, but from an attacking standpoint, was the two-all draw at the Etihad one of the best title matches you've witnessed?
2: I think you talk about the quality. Both teams had to be so good to score against each other full stop because neither team concedes much and uh, many at all, and. Both defences are very hard to break down and sort of outsmart and even create chances. So I think full credit to both teams to find the cracks because no, no other team this season has obviously found the cracks, or especially obviously since uh, Liverpool's upturn of form, say just before Christmas. So the fact that they're pretty much level on points and yeah, the, the, the stats are just absolutely unbelievable. The fact that we still saw four goals on Sunday, because, you know, you, you see that previous games where, say, for example, if, if, if it was a, a Josie Mourinho in charge of Man City, you know, that would just be a board draw nil-nil where neither teams gave a shit and they just cancelled each other out. But they almost sort of cancelled each other out in an entertaining, attacking, wanting to win this game way, if that sort of makes sense to you too,
0: Should have been so many more.
2: I'd say Man City were the better team in the first half, and Liverpool overall were the better seat team in the second half. So you could probably say, yeah, okay, two-two was like fair, and we saw a ridiculously good game. However, I think if I was a Man City fan, I'd be thinking, shit, Mares should have buried that at the end. They had
0: the goal ruled out as well, didn't they? Yeah, Sterling's of goal.
2: Yeah, and the thing is, that was at a time where I would say Man City were on the ropes. Because Liverpool were bossing them up until that point in the second half, in my opinion. But that that could have been that could have been a huge statement. But you know, VAR and the VAR gods, it wasn't supposed to. I wasn't meant to be, was it?
0: Tight call, very very tight call. Um, I mean, just everything about the game had. I mean, at times you talk about the highest quality, um, and then you see that Edison situation where he decided to wait as long as he could before passing the ball off the line I think um, he
2: was the only person watching that game even if you were watching it as a neutral that didn't have a heart heart rate of under 100, he was just sort of like oh, whatever, he looked as calm as a cucumber, couldn't he, believe could not, it. he could not give a shit
0: it was just, yeah, some of the decision making was odd, even from Liverpool at the back, it was just a bit Van Dyke looked Rattled at times, like really nervous. I think, I think for a goalkeeper and defence, it well centre backs and a goalkeeper. I'll phrase it that way because I think the full backs were well and truly involved. But um, yeah, centre backs and goalkeeper were the only, well, how many? Uh, six players on the pitch that probably weren't enjoying themselves <laughs> to an extent. Um, but no, great, great game. Uh, of course, it would end in a draw now the big question is is where where does it go from here in regards to the title race do you think that was liverpool's only chance to really make the difference and switch it on its head or
2: well the fact that liverpool have gained the 11 point gap to have it in their hands obviously up until the sunday just gone uh, when they played each other um and there's been a couple of surprising results from Man City here and there. Obviously against what's well, saying that's not a surprise because obviously now we now I'm obviously good friends with uh, with Jason's Crystal Palace supporting uh, uh, side. Obviously different from the Man United days, but um, but but you know now I know that Crystal Palace are the the, the greatest team in the world. Um, maybe it wasn't a surprise. So, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, they, obviously, they, they lost against um, well, they, they lost against Palace at the start of the season. Obviously, through obviously, then Jason's getting his hard on again, and then obviously, they I think it was their um result against Southampton recently as well. You, you can't say it's over and over, and uh, um, Guardiola will say that. However, if you look at the remaining games, that's probably a big like, turning factor, I think, for, for Man City to think that we're, yeah, like really
0: you know. I was going to say that cities games the last six. Um, I don't know if one's if one's actually missing. To be fair, I don't know if they've uh, rescheduled one of them yet. But the only six that I can see as it stands are Brighton, Watford, Leeds, Newcastle, West Ham, Aston Villa. Liverpool's remaining fixtures, however, Man United, Everton, Newcastle, Spurs. Aston Villa, Southampton, Wolves.
2: Well, if you look at Man City's last game of the season, Stevie G coming up with Coutinho. What's going to happen? Knowing
0: no, Gerrard, he'll he'll take Coutinho over and ask to lift the trophy. Actually, no, he's not John Terry. <laughs> don't worry. Probably wear his <laughs> Liverpool kit as well. Turn um, the shin What do you reckon, Jace? What do you think that was an opportunity you missed for Liverpool, or or do you think they'll take the
1: draw? I still think full catch City. I still think City have got a slip up in them or two.
0: I mean, anything can happen at the end of the day. You know, we we look at different positions in the table and how quickly things turn around and <sighs> this season seems to be throwing all different kinds of spanners in the work. So I, I, I can't say that that it's it's dead and buried. <laughs> one one point in it with seven games to go is is far from it. So no, abs- absolutely. But good game if you was able to catch it so let's come on to then the other as copy says super sunday um good day out for you mate
2: you have no idea how close i was to just ditching that game like now now work's picking up um i, I was i thought oh, i'll give myself sunday off and when it came to it, I was just thinking, oh, does anyone else want my ticket? I didn't offer it, but I was just like, all oh, right, okay. The pre-match subway is always worth it, even if we do get spanked, like you know, four-nil every week. But um, but yeah, I, I was close. And when I got there, I sort of, you know, I, I like the people, like kind of like the well, so, like some of the people that sit around me. And I was like, right, okay, then I'll go there and see them for a bit, social at least, you know. And I genuinely said that if we're losing with ten minutes to go by two goals, I'm out of there. I'm going to try and get back for the uh, like escape the the traffic and get back for the, uh, the the Super Sunday game. Call me a glory hunter or whatever. I don't give a shit. But um, but yeah, that's that's, the, that's life of a Norwich fan at the minute. But what, what can I say? We were. <laughs> we got it's so frustrating. But um, big man uh, BG was uh, was ill before the game. I saw a couple of uh, questionable tweets that I will not repeat. However, I did find some of them quite funny. Um, however, um, yeah, I think our, our record with him in the team is like one win in 17, something stupid like that. And without him, is four wins in 14. It's just like, well, okay, then superstar, where are you? But but yeah, put that um, waste of space aside, that was, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a really good, Really good day out at Carrow Road, even though we're obviously rooted at the bottom and we are going down. That's not changed anything. However, it's the type of performance that leaves you excited but frustrated at the same time, thinking, "Where the hell is this?" Burnley were very, very uninspiring. Um, I I, again like Croul made one good save the whole game. Corner or Cornet should have potentially scored, but that could have been ruled out for offside as well. He was nothing special, he just threw himself on the floor a few times and made himself look like a bit of a mug, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, 2-0 was it was easy, to be honest. Pookie, get him, uh, he needs to sign that contract because if he doesn't, I I know that he's not obviously set the world alight this season, but if you look at everything that goes through him. He scores what seventy-five percent of our goals. If you, if you look at everything that he's done for us, it's absolutely unbelievable. And if you give him the right service, which he's had obviously in the past with Buendia, and apparently we've taken what seven months of this bloody season to get anything to him, he's a really dangerous player. He's superb. We we should do everything we can because we're not gonna like. I don't know what wages. I think he's on quite high wages, but he was free. We're gonna have to spend a few million to replace him if if we are gonna like get rid of him. So. You got to speculate to accumulate with Puki and I think he's well worth the investment. And he he took his goal well. His man of the match. he was just deadly. You don't often see him take on players, but on Sunday, he made Burnley look like like a weak Championship side at best, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I caught I caught some of the game, and from what I could see, it did look like Burnley. I know in the last five minutes they had quite a few chances. With I think there was a save and off the bar and they they made a bit of an effort but by that time when you're in the last 5 minutes and you're 2-0 down it's too little too late we hit the, we hit the bar at the end as well yeah so, I, I think you know. this, i've got to be honest when when we revert back to what 6 weeks 6 7 weeks ago and we were we were sitting here going there's there's no way there's no way burnley will you know be in it with with five six games in hand and here they are with one game in hand um no game in hand over Everton. I think that's the big one. They've got no more games in hand over Everton. Bearing in mind Everton's form and they're four points off Everton. Just goes to show like that the games in hand for Burnley in the end, in the last, they, they've not really done anything, not, in, not to the standard that they need to be staying up, which has surprised me, actually. And they're actually the second worst team in the last five games
2: and we were saying a few weeks ago that those games in hand, like what? Oh my God, why have we ruled out Burnley? We've got Sean Dyche, an incredible Premier League manager, to that that knows how to stay in that division. I think we all turned around and said they're getting out of it. Everton are going to get dragged into that, and then obviously that head-to-head was just like, oh, here we go. Yeah, Everton are going to be in it by the end of the weekend, and then that they turn up, well, they don't bother turning up. It's sort of their performance, like Burnley's performance against us, sort of reminded me the game we'll get onto in a bit of. Man United's performance against Everton I think they just turned up thinking they were going to win it but honestly like me being at the game ugh, obviously as very as, as very uninspired and unexcited I was to go there I left the game thinking Do you know what that was actually good and we were as good as every like well we were as good as Burnley were bad to
0: be honest It's just it's surprising as well when you consider the effort that Burnley put in to beat Everton in that 3-2 and then they I go and lose it.
2: Could not, could I mean, we haven't, we
0: haven't spoken about that game because obviously that was that happened after we recorded the last episode. And we forget Burnley beat Everton 3-2 in midweek. And you think, I mean, Norwich fans must have been sitting there thinking Burnley could take us here
1: with that performance
0: that against Everton. Like, that's the worst result you could have had. But it's almost like, like they said. put all their effort into that game and yeah. had nothing left to give four days like later. I said,
2: people around me were, were asking me, like, what's, what's the score going to be? I said, easy 2-0 Burnley. Not, you know, without being around the push or like, you know, slating us too much. I think only after that Everton win, I thought they're going to turn up. They're going to be 2-0 up within, say, like half an hour, 45 minutes. And I'm just counting down the clock so I can leave road to get back for the uh, the, the Man City Liverpool game. But look at that. It's, it's mad. It's, it, it clicked for us. You know, everything I mean, we had Dow playing, Who who doesn't play. At all, and then you know, I, th- I think the fans have a little bit of a lift when Gilmore doesn't start because obviously, the more he starts, the the, the less money we have to give um, uh, Chelsea's uh, debt collectors. But um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's madness. How much how much of a difference it makes? A huge difference.
0: Well, it's it's almost a bit of a flip of the coin, isn't it? Because when you look at that Burnley three, Everton two result, you're thinking Everton are going into that Man United game. If they couldn't beat Burnley, they're not getting anything out of this. And then Lamps pulls a 1-0 out of his ass. I think we need to discuss this in two ways because Everton fair play to them. We, we we mentioned actually, I think, cost, I don't know if it was on our show. We said Everton are usually up for Man United. They've always been up for it. Like you know, I remember the games always in with picture. Moyes. Always, always, always had a chance. I think I remember a three-one United, and they pulled it back to three-all with five minutes to go. I think that happened when Arteta and Cahill and all there. But we need to talk about how bad Man United are. Like, <laughs> I'm, I mean, talk about role models in the dressing room, and you go and see what Ronaldo did to the fan and his phone that's prick. that's that's the guy that's apparently leading mm-hmm. that dressing room like ha, are you surprised things are going the way it's going with that in the dressing room um and you took you hearing an Ajax manager turn around and say I'm not joining until you give me guarantees I can rid that club of those players so from two perspectives then Jace because I heard you say you were annoyed Everton beating Man United, firstly. Thoughts on that. But then also on the flip side, how bad does it get now? Because I checked the other day and I couldn't believe it. Wolves, the team that we thought were glued in eighth spot, couldn't get ninth, couldn't get seventh, because they were just not quite there, but are now two points off Man United in seventh. So, Jace, firstly... Lampard getting the
1: win? Just a smug look on the fucking... Lampard's an arrogant me. <laughs> and after watching him get swiped by Burnley, it would have been the cherry on the cake. But now I think Everton getting relegated is a pipe dream. I'd love Lampard to get fucking relegated, but I think now that's dead. Watford are dead. So there's, there's no one there that will put up a fight. And yeah, I've, unfortunately, I think it means that They'll have the quality to stay up now. Um, it's nothing that
2: Lampard has implemented in that no. Everton side to keep no. him up, which is why his smugness and his arrogance and his... Oh. his, or his Even his post-match
1: and his, interviews and everything else. is Just his all-round aura as a manager comes across as this entitled entitled manager to do well because of his past glories and he's talking about, you know, when he ripped them off a couple of weeks ago saying they didn't have bollocks and all this, that and the other. It just, it it just annoys me. It just really annoys me. So for him to come away and get three points against Man United is just an absolute, absolute piss take.
2: But never ever rule out Man United for being as shit as they are. Like, what the hell? They've got big, big problems. What is it? What is? It? I, I don't understand it. Honestly, the, the, the amount of money that that team costs to put together and their weekly wages are absolutely extortionate. And yeah. they're a bunch of spoil pricks. It's, I mean, it's embarrassing.
1: Without repeating what I've said before about manager needed to come in, whole rebuild and him needing full control and all this sat in the other, and a director of football that all aligns in all matches... You've got to wonder, you have to wonder. So not only is part of the problem consistency with a coach and a director of football and a joint-up approach, as we've already said, because that team is an amalgamation of about four or five managers that have come and gone over the last three or four years. But then if you've already got speculation about the Ajax manager coming in, but you've already got speculation being leaked there are certain players who are not happy about the Z manager coming in because of it, because they have concerns about his training methods, and they've not even played for him. That for me rings alarm bells.
2: You shouldn't but, need to get them inside. Well, this they're, is they're the employees. Idea. They are employees at the end of the day.
1: But the fact that he only as of about five days ago, it's not hundred percent confirmed, but there's strong leaks coming out that probably will be him, and he's been approached and he's been interviewed. The fact that you already have Man United players leak into the press how they don't want him, they don't approve of his training methods. Like, who the fuck do you think you are? And also, if not him, if not him, who would they like in as manager? That's what I would love to know. Whoever is leaking that they don't want Zed manager, who the fuck would you bring in? Who would you bring in? And not only that, who the fuck would really if they were a top-level coach, want to come in after what they saw with Mourinho, what they saw with, well, Ralph Renniak hasn't changed it. It's not, I, Honestly, I do not... I, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I mean, I've seen online there's some United fans hopeful that in the summer, with Pogba going and a few of the out-of-contract players going, or one's with the year left, it'll open up the doors for someone to come in, like the IX manager, and freshen it up completely. But you then have to question. Problem is, we've touched on it before. Until, and I think Van Gogh actually a couple of weeks ago alluded to it during the international break, until Man United stop behaving like a commercial club and actually put football at the heart of what they're doing, it will not work.
0: Let them burn. If you're not going to be a football club, We don't want you in it at the end of the day. You know, as much as I dislike Man United, I respect their 90s, 80s, 2000s, even going into 2010. You've got to respect that Man United because they could back up, you know, their actions off the pitch with their actions on the pitch. You know, they were a commercial, they've been a commercial entity for a little while now, I'd say, not as a club, but, with individuals since Beckham Beckham started branding the club, Denny and all that and with Pepsi and but you couldn't you can argue it. But this club now the 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 arrogance that's associated with this club and then you watch what they're doing on the pitch just it makes it quite embarrassing. Um, and it's the what's more annoying is that the fans just refuse to believe that Man United are closer to being bottom half of the table at this moment in time than they are winning the league. I'm sorry, they are miles off.
2: They must hate it because it's the noisy neighbours and their biggest rivals in their history. I think the only saving grace for United is they've won the most titles, which is stopping Liverpool from obviously overtaking them because obviously a city that have uh, they've got all the money and... It just—it's just a weird season that Liverpool could finish well, like they have done. They finished on ninety-nine points and didn't win the win the league. So that they, they should have. In every other season, I know it's to do with the season that they're currently in. But if Klopp was, you know, if Klopp was a mid-two-thousands manager, that could, that probably pretty, really probably pretty would have uh, taken about five or six titles off United.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. So. Yeah, not not the best of times, but knowing our luck, they'll somehow squeeze themselves into some kind of bang average European spot. But you know, we 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 can hope. Um, you kind of wonder what their priority would be at this moment in time. Whether it's, but as Jason said, it, it depends on on how this whole managerial appointment goes. Um, two more games left to discuss. Let's get one of the quick ones out the way, and then we can somehow end the first segment. With context as how we will start this end segment, um, because they both feed off one another. If you know where I'm going, um, but we did have a Friday night game. I mean, you could probably have said a month ago it would have probably be, had some relevance, but Newcastle Wolves, another win for Newcastle. That I mean, Wolves have been a bit hitting hot and cold all season.
1: Wolves um, are a very strange team, I find.
0: Very, very strange team. I mean, to be eighth, two points off.
1: See, with Wolves, every time we seem to talk about them, we talk about how well they're doing and how well they play. Every time I see them on the TV on a live game, they look absolute dog shit. And I don't know how they've managed to play that way all season under the radar and still only be two points off six.
0: We identified it. Do you know what it is? Me and Kossi identified this last week considering how they started this season, they don't draw games, Chase. So for every two games that they lose in dogshit fashion, they're then winning or winning four and losing two, which is better than getting your four draws and two wins. So, I mean, when you look at it though, in the last 20 games, Wolves are on 30 points and Newcastle are on 29 so it's actually, it was a closer fixture than a lot of people expected. It's just how Newcastle started the season. So as a club, 20 games, you know, into the season now, it's 7th v 8th in, in the 20-game in the table. So
2: I swear Newcastle, sorry, um, I swear Wolves are either the most exciting team to watch or the most dull and you think, Jesus Christ. Me as a Norwich fan, I've seen them twice this season. And I was so uninspired. Yeah. Sometimes when I watch them, yeah. Like Wish I some, was. Some, <laughs> but sometimes when I when I watch them, and all of a sudden their their flair, like players are on the ball and they're scoring absolute screamers, you think, "Fuck me, these these are a bloody good team." And then again, they'll play against Norwich and lose or whatever, and you just think, "What? Yeah, they're a bit shit, aren't they?" It's they're such a strange, strange team.
0: They've not drawn a game this year. Their last draw was Chelsea back in December, 19th of December. That was their last draw. Every other game they played, and they have played a hell of a lot. I mean, you're looking at easy plus 10 games there. They've either won or they've lost. And that's the biggie. You know, if you do that all season, that's how, I mean, we said this about Everton, didn't we? That's how Everton could have stayed up or Watford because they weren't drawing games they were losing but they were getting those occasional wins or that's what Wolves have been doing all season so um it's it's a bit of a bit of an if odd one I'd say um but it's not got much context now I mean you look at Newcastle 34 points 15th in the table could easily finish 10th they're only three points off you Jace with the same number of games, and when you look at form and whatnot, Newcastle, I mean, there's not not many teams outside the top four that are in better form than Newcastle over the past, well, this year anyway. So going to be an interesting end to the season for Newcastle, considering how close we thought they once were. But then again, they've turned it around in good fashion. Um, now then, we end the first segment with the final televised game, which was Saturday evening. And this is where I said the context comes into play because we'll start the second segment with the team that didn't quite have a great weekend, as we've already alluded to by saying, has anyone seen Cookie? So, in arguably Spurs' toughest fixture on paper, according to uh, us a few weeks ago, they turned over Villa at Villa Park 4-0. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. Taylor two halves. Villa in the first half was superb and could have quite easily had a couple of goals to their name if they could, I guess, story of their season as well with Watkins and Ings, but they couldn't put them away. And then arguably one of the hottest front three of 2022 at the moment. I mean, all three of them have just been unbelievable and it seems to be the... you know, the tale at the moment as to where the quality is for Spurs and Arsenal and Man United and so on. So where does it go from here?
1: Well, I think, so before I get to Villa, I think Arsenal-Spurs, I think it's done. I don't see, I know I always say this quite bluntly, but I just don't see Conte bottling it now. Spurs have been Spursy at times. And this was the game where if they were going to do anything Spursy, this was the game that would potentially, you know, bring that home. And it didn't. They then go into, they've got a lunchtime kick-off on Saturday against Brighton. I mean, you fancy them there. They then got a 5.30 game the week after away to Brentford. Potentially could be tough, but again, they'll have the benefit of the later kick-off. I don't know what Arsenal are doing on that game, whether they're beforehand or not, but again, it's not a game I can see Tottenham slipping up.
0: Arsenal have Man United at lunchtime
1: that yeah, day. Yeah, see, it plays right into Tottenham's hand, then Tottenham get to Leicester. Now, that Leicester game, from what I saw of Leicester the weekend, just very briefly, that could be a potential wobble, but Again, by the time that Brighton and Brentford game are done, Arsenal may or may not have dropped more points. To be honest, from what I saw of Arsenal at Selhurst a couple of weeks ago, they looked like they had the stuff and not dried out of them, and obviously it showed this weekend as well. So, I really do think as for Spurs, it's theirs to lose now. I know that can seem premature, but I just I don't see... Conte's got the winning mentality and experience to get through, and I don't I don't see him dropping that.
2: Yeah, but um, Paul Merson said on Sky Sports that if uh, Son and Kulosevsky play when... Kay- like they, all- they only play when Kane plays. If Kane doesn't turn up, the other two aren't playing. That's such an insult. insult. But believe me, if Son is making runs, who's finding them? <laughs> it's just like, oh, come on, Paul Merson. Like, put that salt away. Oh,
1: dear. On the flip side, I'd like to come to Aston Villa for a second because... I was one of them, and granted the first half, they played very well, but I was one of them. I think I was on a show with Kossi. I was like, oh, Stevie Gerrard. Mike Vieira, he's come in, legend of the game. Oh, his coaching tactics, have you read about it? They're bloody amazing. Now, I knew they'd been on a slippery slope and a bit on and off. But then today, I stumble across this little stat which astounded me, to be honest. So, strap yourselves in, lads. Bear in mind that Villa are 12th, I think, and Gerrard has done ever so well. Steven Gerrard's win percentage at Aston Villa, 38.1%. Next, Frank Lampard's win percentage at Everton, 38.5%. Now, I know it's only 0.4 of a percentage, but just goes to show that actually how we just retrospectively spoke about Everton being the worst team in the league, Gerard Grant, he's dragged them away from the rut that they were in. One, he's not far off in terms of the form as to what Everton are. So then you could argue over a season with that drag Villa down secondly i will add is i don't think we used to say this when dean smith was in charge i still don't think Gerard has solved the conundrum of the best 11 at villa and how to play really and how to get the best i mean ollie watkins right they signed for 35 million still inconsistent still not really sure what what him and
2: ing's on saturday Mm. That, that that could that, that could have been for all with if they, them two had their shooting boots on. This I, I don't understand them. They're so frustrating to watch. you think you should be so much better? They they did have the chances, but the, the squalling doesn't lie, does it? The
1: the problem they're going to have now is it'll be an interest in some of them because granted they've got money and they've got owners that do have the cash to spend, but. You have to question now. So the first dilemma they've got to solve is Coutinho. If they do sign him, it's big money on wages and obviously the transfer fee, whatever the arrangement is. But regardless, if they sign him, it's big money wages. Now, for Villa, for me, they're in that precarious position because they can go and sign Coutinho on a permanent fine. What else are you going to do? Because, to be honest, for Villa... They, they're they going to finish there or thereabouts mid-table or bottom half, right? But if they're going to sign someone like Coutinho on that big money and then they chuck other money at it as well, then, I mean, effectively, their next challenge is finishing sixth. West Ham territory. West Ham would be better next year. And in reality, for Villa, even to reach that point, I mean, they're 15 points off. So... Automatically, we're saying for Aston Villa, if they sign Coutinho and whatever they bring in, they do have to, their next spot is sixth. Because what's the, if, if you're Aston Villa and you're just going to finish mid table, what is the point in signing Coutinho? Because they can finish mid table without Coutinho.
0: That was my point to, to begin with when they signed Coutinho. I said, what, what is the ambition for signing Coutinho in the position they're in? He's not going to, without Coutinho, they're staying up. Without Coutinho, they're finishing mid-table. So why did they sign him on loan and spend all that money? Because it made no sense to me when you've got your player that you signed for Coutinho for six months, keeping the big money player that you signed in the summer to be the creative flair and gave the number 10 shirt in Buendia sitting on the bench. So where where was the common sense? And I just I just don't get. I mean Villa, to be honest, Villa's squad. If it's if it wasn't Dean Smith that was the issue, because you look at that squad, and really Aston Villa can't be where Wolves are with that squad. So are we talking about two managers that are inept, or another? identity crisis with players that don't quite know whether they're good enough or not because that's the problem you've got at Everton you've got players that seem to think I mean are you really telling me that Richarlison deserves to be linked to Spurs are you mad that's a guy that thinks he's world class and he he couldn't tie Son's boot and you've got the same situation at Villa because you've got That limbo feeling of, is Buendia next level or is he actually not quite? There's a lot of players like that. Ming stepping up from Bournemouth. Is he next level or not? Because Everton have been in this situation for years now where Michael Keane, is he next? And they've been exposed. Villa have got to be very careful. Because Everton did this with James Rodriguez and players like that. And we saw how that's turned out. And if they start doing that with
1: Coutinho,
0: I, I just a little bit, I think without Coutinho, they finish exactly where they finished this season.
1: Well, the other problem as well is Ollie Watkins. He's got eight goals this year in assists, right? They bought him for massive money, £35 million. He should be the star man. Whoever came in should have built, I mean, Dean Smith. Dean Smith loves him. He played with them at Brentford, didn't he? But... How many times have we heard Danny Ings and him having an identity crisis as to how do they play together? How do you think? But then we
0: said, that was that a problem that needed to be solved to begin with, Jace, Because last season he was getting 14 goals and five assists. So why did they try and fix something that wasn't
1: broken? Precisely. And the other thing, the other problem I have, and this is quite shocking, to be honest, Bertrand Traore came with decent pedigree. I think it was from Leon. Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen as well. Again, over the years, massive, massive, massive reputations. This season, Troy seven appearances, no goals, no assists. Leon Bailey, 16 appearances, only one goal and two assists. Now I know Bailey's had injury problems or whatever, but he's nearly played half a season in a league and he's only got one goal and he's only got two assists. Put those two players together, That's 23 appearances, one goal, and two assists. That, for me, screams of not getting the best out of your players. Don't even
0: add Buendia onto that, his stats as well, with the money they paid for him. You'd only get another two goals and four assists added onto that with 28 games played.
2: And Not being funny as well, puki has got nine Premier League goals, Watkins has eight, and Ings has five. And Pukki and Buendia together would accumulate ninety-eight percent of Norwich's goals last season, I know, albeit in a championship. But if Puki can get nine Premier League goals without his service and with a very, very weak Norwich side, Christ, where's the what's happening? Well
0: <laughs> you've also got the other dilemma, Jace. I think you alluded to it with Newcastle signing um was it Target from Villa mm. and Villa buying Digna? Well are they
1: worse? You look at Villa's team. So, let's say the season ends today and you go into next season. So, you've got Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings, Troy Oray and Bailey is the kind of the f- registered forwards of the club, right? Troy Oray and Bailey, for me, would be your kind of main inside forwards or wingers, at least, and then you'd have Watkins up top. But Danny Ings would be another year older. He's done remarkably well this year considering his fitness issues. But as you said, if you compare it to the Everton situation, you then get to their midfield and then you've got Josh Feeney, who's a youngster, some other youngster, Coutinho, Benjamin Krasani, which must be another youngster, Lindley. Then you've got... no I mean, don't, no disrespect to these, but they've then got a Wumaka, whatever his name is. I don't know, but he's a, he looks like a youngster. And they've got Bundia, McGinn, Nakamba, Sanson, and Jacob Ramsey. Now, Jacob Ramsey is not the team of the class. Their best but, player. But but the point stands, if you look at the Everton situation, you're looking at Josh McGinn, John McGinn rather, you're looking at Bundia, and you're looking at Morgan Sanson, who hasn't made Morgan Sanson came with a decent European pedigree. He's done nothing in that villa team. You start looking at that squad and you start thinking, well, actually, would those players, for example, and I'm not just saying this because it's my team, but if you compare Villa to someone like Palace, would a Morgan Sanson or John McGinn currently get in the Palace team? Probably not. And it's, it's an odd one because they've bought players at the time that seemed like their stock was high, but as quickly as their stock was high, it's gone down. If they tried to sell Ollie Watkins tomorrow, there's no way they'd recruit the 30, 35 million because when you're spending that money on that player, he's got to be getting you 15 to 20 goals a season. You know, he's got eight so far in 28 appearances. But, you know, he's not a bad player. He's still young. The problem is Gerard and Dean Smith before him just hasn't found a system to accommodate Watkins, Ings, Trollway, and Bailey. But the fact that they've got Bailey, Troye available to them and between them they've only got one goal, that's criminal, really. And then you've got... The other thing I find odd, and... Ranting a little bit here, but I don't know if you've noticed with Gerard, he seems to have a bit of a bee in his bonnet about some of that team because he keeps referring to the fact that, oh, come the summer, yeah, there are certain players that can't be here, da, da, da. He put a kind of stop to it on the interview over the weekend, but he's been saying that for a few weeks now. So he's obviously got his viewpoints on the team. And maybe, maybe he doesn't agree with the balance, maybe he thinks someone needs to be replaced. But I think Villa. I mean, again, talk of big club, big money, this, that, and the other. But again, they're just buying the best of the rest.
0: I, I, I honestly don't think. And I am glad. I'm glad this has kind of happened to an extent because I did call it. I said I wasn't convinced by Gerard. I, I, I something about it just didn't didn't scream that it, it was the right. It was the right club. It was Villa in a transition that that were wanting to spend loads of money, and it's just not working at the moment. They were buying players that didn't solve that what weren't needed. Danny Ings to be bought by Villa was was a ridiculous signing, especially when you're lining up at that back with with you know Mings and the, it's it's a defence that will keep you up at best. Like Evans, Michael Keane. Good enough to be good enough for Burnley, not good enough to be in the next bracket. Exactly the same situation. Um, so I'm. I, f- I think Villa have got to be very, very careful, and they've always done this. Villa always, and it's just the, the the recruitment. When you look at Leicester and Wolves and. Even Palace at the moment and West Ham. I mean, West Ham that not, weren't that long ago in line with Villa. And the recruitment behind West Ham is a completely different ball ballgame. Um, as you say, you're absolutely right. I wouldn't be surprised if Villa started being the ones to knock on Watford's door for SAR when they don't need sa or started trying to buy mind you it would be a great signing if they did sign ward prowse because that is probably the only player in the lower half of their table that i'd say actually he would improve anyone um but i just i don't believe in the signings around him but keep a close eye on him because it's interesting having a gerard lampard comparison um and I, I i you do wonder if not that gerard would have ever stepped foot at goodison park but Would he have done any better at the moment? Well, stats don't lie. So we'll keep a close eye on that with the remaining seven games of the season between Villa and Everton. Um, Come to the end of the first segment. Conscious, we just move it on to the second. And uh, firstly, get predictions out the way. So we had four games and one double point fixture. Uh, No one got the correct score this week in five games um Spurs Villa shock who didn't say Spurs would win (laughs) Uh, has anyone seen Cookie um Jason you said 3-1 Spurs me and I think Cossie am I right I put Scott down twice for some reason but I believe you also said 2-1 Spurs um we got the same scoreline. So, yeah, we all get a point, which moves us up. So, Cookie clearly went with his heart there, didn't he? Not his uh, not his head. Um, maybe needs to start uh, rethinking that. Uh, Man City, Liverpool. None of us thought it would be a draw. Who would have thought? We all said it would be either a City win or Liverpool win. Uh, Watford, Leeds. Me and Cookie were the only ones that thought that Leeds would get a win. Uh, gets a point back for Cookie. Sticking with you, Jace. And uh, no one said that Everton Shock would beat Man United. Bad week. Really bad week. But we did have a double point fixture because Burnley Everton was obviously one that we previously predicted and it got postponed and it's finally come back. Uh, Cookie said Burnley would win 2 1. I said Burnley would win 2 1. So rather than the one point, we get two. So the. Predictions currently looks, me on 68, Cookie and Cossie on 53, Jason on 51. So, no will or wonder, because I'm conscious we've got quite a bit to talk about. So we go straight into the second segment, and of course I've got to start where we left off. And speak, Jase, you've got to speak about brightening in, in nice context for once. None of this well, well, well. Although, you're more than welcome to apply it in Arsenal context if you would like to.
1: Well, Arsenal are just utter shite, aren't they? <laughs> it's just utter, utter
0: shite. They didn't even get three well, well, well. They just got the one, didn't they?
2: No. <laughs> Simply, well,
1: Arsenal was shite. <laughs> Straight into it. I love it. Complete box, isn't it? Like, they go on a run and get, you know... Ramsdale is the best thing since sliced bread in you know sliced bread in Europe. Like I mean, fucking, they've been. Can, shown can up- I yeah. can
0: I just pull this back a little bit because I know Cookie would have wanted That's me to it. do this. I mean, i have taken... go back three games, right, with Arsenal because we've. We, I mean, this is the joy of of having podcasts, isn't it? Um, the joys of having. A podcast is you can kind of go back look at the look at the results and and the recordings and it wasn't that long ago Cos, that I remember a certain someone on our screen saying Arteta was up for manager of the season is it just that's me unlike, that's, Wait, that's unlike, I, that's, that's, that doesn't happen does it Jace go back on his word well, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm fairly confident. I mean, I, I remember we were sitting here and and we were we were questioning, and and he definitely said, Mister Bastard definitely said that Arteta was was potentially up for manager of the season about five games ago. Yeah, didn't, I shouldn't have
1: didn't done that. We, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Are you drinking, mate? Yeah, I was. I pegged too soon. Okay. <laughs> nah. They've
2: spent a lot of money. They've
1: spent a lot of money,
2: so they should be doing what they're doing, really. But well, yeah, what I, they were know, on doing.
1: Flip side, I did mention this in January with Klossy when we done our January show. The fact that they didn't bring a striker in in January, I mean Lacazette is shit. I haven't spoken about the Selhurst game because I wasn't on that podcast. But we've
0: got we've got just quickly. We've got. I know we're joking, Chase, but. To be fair, with the signings they've made, I didn't think they would be as close as they have been. I mean, Chelsea probably haven't been as good as they should have been. So, But I, I we still can't rule out that Ramsdale has been a great signing. White's been decent. Well, I'm still in an argument with the price tag, but you're absolutely right what you're about to come on to. Were they one striker away from getting fourth?
1: I think so. I think so. They could have been, yeah. What I think you people, might be right. If they got another striker in, in January that could push them on, I think just another option because Lacazette looks, I mean, Lacazette shit. He wouldn't even get in Burnley's team. He doesn't do anything anymore. You think how he used to be two seasons ago. He's absolutely shite. If they miss out on top four, where does that leave them in the, Where does that leave Arteta? Because this whole revolution has supposedly been all about getting Europe this year. That's what the focus has been. And uh, they don't seem like they're going to get it. So if they don't get top four, well, put it this way, if they don't get top four, the big players that they've been linked with, supposedly, Larovic, Harland, fuck off. In your dreams, Cookie. Go back to Disneyland if you want to wish on those fantasies. Jesus Christ. But, I mean, if they don't finish fourth, that's going to severely dent whatever, you know, if they have got a couple of big names lined up, progressive names, that is going to severely dent any chance of getting those players. Well,
0: if Arsenal don't get fourth and Spurs do, do you think that gives Spurs the chance to seriously leapfrog further away from Arsenal, if, having Conte in the Champions League and Spurs, the, the players that would want to... I mean, that's to say Conte stays, we don't know. If Conte stays, if Spurs get Champions League, you've got a club in London with one of the best managers in the world. Chelsea can't buy players.
1: If Spurs, what could that do? If Spurs get fourth, providing Levy does what he's supposed to do, in the summer and look thing for Spurs is either way, right? They've got Harry Kane. If he decides to stay, he stays. If he doesn't, then they sell him for big money because he's picked up his form and it's world cup year as well. Right. Either way, I think Spurs, they'll blitz pass up because Arsenal will not be on the same stratosphere when it comes to paying for transfer fees. They just won't. And I think they will run away. And I think there's also a danger for Arsenal that Arsenal's window to get top four was this year because they didn't have Europe, they didn't have anything and other teams like Chelsea, for example, have been really bad. United have been really bad. Leicester have been really bad and Leicester are normally up there. Um, West Ham have been hit and miss and kind of gave up points. But you look ahead to next season, I don't believe Leicester will be as bad as what they have been this season. West Ham... I think they'll probably carry on and be there or thereabouts. Tottenham, if you take Tottenham as a prime case and example, they will be right up there next season, I think, if they can finish top four this year. Chelsea, flaky, but just for the fact that Tottenham's presence is back there again, I just can't see Arsenal doing it, because they're not going to be able to, if Spurs finish fourth, they're not going to be able to match Spurs in the summer. Arsenal aren't going to then match Chelsea, Liverpool or City, and then Man United should, big question mark, should be better. Leicester will probably be better. Wolves, who knows? And if West Ham... So, all of a sudden, their massive window of opportunity that they had to finish fourth, and they had quite... Let's not forget, they had quite an easy run to do this. All of a sudden, two... We're not even talking about results against Liverpool's or Man United here. It's Crystal Palace and... Brighton, and I'm not saying they're not tough games because every game in the Premier League is tough but if you want to finish in the top four or win trophies those are the games you have to be winning and they're the games of the difference which is why yes okay those games on paper were tough and the me would say yeah Palace are giving a good game but look at the difference I said the same about Spurs and Villa and look at Spurs going to Villa Park potentially against that Villa team and they just smashed them Arsenal go to Palace, bottle it. They then go to Brighton and have a chance to go somewhere where Brighton... Well, I can't remember when they won a game. But, you know, they're at the Emirates, they're at home to Brighton, and they lose. I mean... Can you really justify finishing top four if that's the kind of home game that you're going to bottle in the penultimate run? I don't think so. Well,
0: Paul Merson said... Spurs were a one-man team. Three games, they've scored 12 goals. Not one of them was scored by Harry Kane. Yes, Harry Kane's involvement is key. But again, Son, now only, what, three goals off Salah for Golden Boot for the season? Kulisewski in contention for Young Player of the Year the way he's going at the moment I mean that guy has just elevated that front three to another level and that looks like that's what's going to be Arsenal's downfall the front three the fact that they just simply didn't recruit a striker to play with Saka and Martinelli they're literally one striker away from from being next level um and they didn't do it so could come back and bite me in the ass look um, I'm not going to lie. There's only three points in it. Arsenal, a game in hand, big game in hand, however, because it's Chelsea. Um, we're watching Chelsea and we'll come on to that game shortly. Um, Chelsea spanking Southampton. What a game to go into. Um, it's going to be difficult for Arsenal, for sure. So, but we'll we'll certainly keep a close eye on it. Just quickly, Cos. Brighton, because I can't really go to Jason talk about Brighton because that would be uh, unfair for Seagull Simon, of course, because that's only going one way. Um, tied on points, are they?
2: Wait, what's what's that meal? I, I, I can't. Is that is that a scallop starter looking more like a scallop starter for, for for two rather than
1: one? Is it? Hang on a fucking minute, we're talking about Silla Bottom. <laughs> Calm your shit down. Wait, I, thought he was a, I thought he was a mute. <laughs> I, thought,
0: I thought one team was excellent and the other was really dog shit, and yet somehow they're like, bang middle in the table, uh, wouldn't they? Look? P-
1: pardon me, pardon me, but let's take both Arsenal and Brighton here while we're fucking at it, and Spurs, and Norwich. <laughs> one, one team is in an FA Cup semi I don't. I don't hear any of you speaking about your fucking Wembley games next week.
0: Uh-huh. Hey, your season was over the moment you got to that semi-finals. Down tools from here. The last time you got anywhere near a trophy, mate, you nearly got relegated. So let's calm your beans, eh? I do think he supported he, he,
2: he didn't support them then, anyway.
0: way. Maybe, or maybe not.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Salty. <laughs> right, let's talk about, because we had a bit of an interaction from a fan Um Regarding this game, we actually had a Southampton fan. The big question was, why does this keep happening? And we had a tweet trying to sort of well, not explain as such. I think I think they're as stumped as we are. And apparently, according to a, a certain Jordan Stanley, who reached out, appreciate you reaching out and, and giving us a bit of context or trying to, anyway. His reasoning was, as a Saints fan, don't think any Saints fan actually can explain how it happens. It's just unknown what the hell goes on for this to happen. Um, I've always felt that Ralph, one, has never had the money, which is the biggest point, which you could could say is fair. Bearing in mind, they're one of the biggest selling clubs. Two, he doesn't think the right coaching staff are behind him. Uh, don't really think a number two who can actually advise him and offer him alternatives. It's always a great option to have if you've got a good number two. I mean, we talk about Gerard and he's number two and that seems to be the key as to why Gerard's had success. Um, and then he said a great manager, but if he doesn't have a good support system, then he's never going to do well because he's never going to be challenged on decisions or given alternative options to make if something isn't working. Now, any of you got any context as to as a neutral as to why this keeps happening for Southampton or is it one of those like Derby had when they were in the championship pushing for promotion that eventually it becomes this mentality that it's gonna happen remember how Derby for years were these nearly boys couldn't come up could they just couldn't get promoted now look where they are I mean how much they'd rather have that but Do you think this is in Southampton's players' minds that there's always this potential that can be spanked like this?
1: No, I just think it's a... Look, the way Hassan Hootl plays is high risk, high reward, right? And there's always going to be an odd game in the season with the way they play that they get at the end of a tonking. And we said at the beginning of the season when they start to kind of ratchet up... the way they play is great to watch, but it's nothing more than that. It, it, it's really not. And they were favourites in my book to get relegated this year, and they didn't because they put on that superb run of form. But we always questioned our oh, Southampton, what, what Southampton are going to turn up this week. And I think just in the Premier League, the way Hassan hutel played in Germany, okay... Germany's a tough league, but it probably lends itself better in that respect. But the reality is, in the Premier League, you, you play this expansive system with high-pressing wing-backs and, you know, whatever. You always, well, first of all, you always open yourself up to losing game or conceding a couple of goals a game. And let's face it, unless you're Man City or Liverpool, you can't afford to concede a couple of games. Because normally, if you do, you're going to end up losing. Number two from that is because of the high risk, high reward factor in the way they play, there's always that default where, and again, I think with Southampton, this is a kind of one of the, there's always a game with a team that's kind of mid table and safe and nothing to play for where there's one game where it just doesn't click and no one turns up. And I think generally that game, that's what happened. I don't think, what happened over the weekend was a mentality thing. I just think it was, a we're safe, we're playing Chelsea, we'll dare to dream and play this open, expansive football. And Chelsea just picked them off. They pressed and pressed and pressed. And very rarely, seldom have I seen hudson to have a plan B. And I think there is the problem. There is no plan B. It's high press, swashbuckling football, or it's nothing and total football against teams. Chelsea did it at Palace when we tried to them at Stamford Bridge. They two nil, They were 2-0 up within half an hour. They'll just sucker punch you. But the difference is, Palace went to plan B to save the scoreline. Southampton just carry on doing it. They didn't have it at all. I,
2: I genuinely felt so sorry for Fraser Forster because I don't think that he had a bad game. Some of the saves he pulled out in that game- would have been 10. Except it would have been 10. He, he was outrageous at times during that game. and. None. None of the goals he conceded were anything to do with what he did. And I think um, I, I looked at. I, I specifically remember the sixth goal that Chelsea scored. He made a. He made the first save, made the second save. He kicked it away for the third, and then all of, eventually it went in for the sixth. And you think where the what the hell are your defense doing? Like you've literally made two amazing saves. You've made the clear a clearance within like six seconds of each other. Then all of a sudden you've conceded your sixth. And it's just like, just give them a little bit of like uh, backup, lads. Jesus Christ! But like, like Jason said, they didn't have that right damage limitation. They just thought, sort of, I don't know, like just threw them to the walls and they thought, right, carry carry on battering us if you want. That's, that doesn't do anything for the like for the, for the Southampton defenders. That doesn't do anything for the goalkeeper. It was just sort of like heads down. Let's just concede that we're gonna concede like six plus goals today. And if it's it wasn't the Fraser it? To play playing well, like, like you say, it could have been 10.
0: It's interesting that that is what the fan alludes to. He, say, he says that he hasn't got number two. So maybe maybe that is it. Just hasn't got that person to lean on and, and get you know a second opinion. or It's another club, to be fair. I mean, you take Ward-Prowse out, which looks like could happen in the summer. And I mean, I'm, I'm banking on them being the Everton of this season you know it, uh, i that club has been teetering on the edge for years relegation um i think i think Huston deserves a lot of credit because i think you know to 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 have southampton performing the way they were and then you know you, you've got to give him some credit because they just don't spend money at all um bearing in mind they're one of the probably one of the best feeder teams of the past 10 years when you look at liverpool and spurs and and clubs like that that have benefited off of Southampton. Um, But it's just, it just keeps happening. And it is the biggest myth as to why. Um, But Chelsea got the win, massive win for Chelsea. Arsenal will be, without a doubt, hoping that, well, you assume Chelsea are out tomorrow night to Real Madrid. Um, And then... Jason will be hoping that rolls over into the to the weekends game with with Chelsea in the semi-final. But if Chelsea turn over Palace or, or get anything out of this Real Madrid fixture tomorrow night, which I can't see happening in a million years, then Arsenal have got to be bricking it. But we'll see. We will see. Let's skim across these next two fixtures then, just to try and catch up on some time. Uh Watford leads.
1: We don't need anything. Well,
0: Hodgson, Hodson is just not having the desired impact at all,
1: is he? No, and I think that says more about Watford as a club more than Hodgson itself. Well, I've said before, Watford struggle with an identity. They don't. Well, they don't have one. Simple fact. You could go through every Premier League team, and you could say what their style is, how they play. And what their manager is renowned for, with Watford, you've never been able to do that. And even if you ask the fans, who's like the, who's the stalwart, who's the kind of main man, and everyone will say Saar or Dennis, but they don't really have any connection. They're a bunch of players put together. That's all. They have nothing to them. Like obviously, I, I give uh, I, I gave Brentford some
2: shit, and I think deservedly so when they lost nine out of eleven. And we'll get onto them in a minute. Minute, however, there's something likable about them that you want them to stay up as a neutral. You just think fair play with the way that they're playing. Obviously, the Ericsson factor. There's not a single thing about Watford that you think. Do you know what? I really hope they stay up this season, guys. Which is weird.
1: There's just no identity about them, is there? There's
2: exactly. No... There's there's nothing likable about Watford. What?
1: Like, they don't really have an atmosphere at the ground. They don't... They're not renowned for anything. They don't... Since they got rid of Troy Deeney and a couple of the oldest Star Wars... So true. Their identity is gone. That's all you've got to say about it, really. Like, fair play to Leeds. Yes, they got three points, but it's Watford. Watford this year.
2: Moving on to Leeds. Rafinha scored a great goal. Yeah, obviously, Leeds are more than safe, and they're sometimes a pleasure to watch. All three goals against Watford were were nicely taken, and... uh, yeah, I've making special mention to Rafinha because obviously we enjoy watching him play and yeah, turn them over. It shouldn't have been as easy as it was, but they were and fair play to the to the new manager. So easy yeah. to talk
0: about. I mean it's it's surprising. I mean, it's not. well, it, i say it's surprising. It's, there's no surprise really that Watford are where they are this year when when you think about their star man, as we keep calling him, Emmanuel Dennis, and he's got one goal this year. That's that's a serious downturn in form. Um, that's nine nine goals this season. When you bear in mind he had those nine goals in the first three months almost, um, and then you've got Sa, who has not scored a goal for Watford this year. I uh, know he was injured quite a bit. Um, he's actually only got five goals this season. So that might be the difference between Watford staying up and not. Uh, Cossie, you did allude to your favourite club just a second ago. Uh, Brentford and West Ham. 2-0 Brentford. Didn't see it coming. Thank you. Great weekend for Spurs.
2: Again, know- you're welcome, Brentford. You play yeah. Norwich, win, and that's given you the, uh, the kick on you needed to, or well, kick up the backside you needed because you were in shit form when I think if Norwich would have beaten Brentford, Brentford would have gone down, and I'd have been sixty quid up from a five-a-bet I put the other week when they were twelve to one to go down because they were a shower of shit. All of a sudden, they've turned it around, and uh, you know, again, put 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 your thank yous on the on a postcard to Norwich because that that was your that was your changing game, to be honest. And uh, yeah, Tap and Tony got his six-yard goldenly, so uh, so fair play to him. And yeah, it's a good win.
0: All eyes on the Europa League for West Ham. I would imagine that game against Lyon will turn the tide, I'm sure. Um, but no, it was it a was good result for Brentford. Definitely safe and sound now, um, if they weren't already. Um, and then obviously they get the headlines with that lovely interaction between manager and fan on the side with with the mini-eggs and, you know... Further ads, I'm sure for Cosy ammunition as to what a wonderful club Brentford are, eh? <laughs> nah, to be fair,
2: I'd, I'd much, much rather see that than a, a boring like, oh, so, so, Yeah, like give me that over like Chelsea's like horrendous fans. Give me that over pretty much ninety-five percent of other other teams. To be honest, I think I think um, they come out. Uh, Brentford only come out looking good. To be honest, and. Once, once they get rid of Tony, who, are, who, in my opinion, is a poison to their club because of things that he's the absolute dog's bollocks. That, that to me, is the only unlikable thing about Brentford. And yeah, I'd, I'd much rather be where they where they were. And I, I think my my criticism was justified because any team that loses nine out of eleven, and obviously we beat them away from home when we had Fark in charge as well when we were even more shambolic. But um, at the end of the day, I think I think my criticism to them was uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit of jealousy at the same time. But also, at, at the time, that was in the horrendous run of form. But like I said, they beat us. And look at their look at their upturn of form since they beat us. And I, I think, I, I honestly believe that if they wouldn't have beaten us, they would have been dragged into it big
0: time. Dr Norwich to the rescue. Right. We saved the best tool last. win isn't for everyone this weekend. Um,
2: (laughs) I had to say that.
0: Seagull Simon, I'm sorry, but I had to say that. No, Leicester, I mean, come on. You've got one of the best atmospheric clubs losing a game to one of the worst atmospheric clubs. What are you talking about? Those... Those I mean, fan rattlers. Wait,
2: Cookie the, Cookie backed them up that time. That is someone that's not been to a game for a long, long time because, Christ, those clapping things are pathetic. Worst, so, Cookie, grow up.
0: Worst atmosphere in the Fake Premier
2: League. Embarrassing, a waste of paper. I, Jesus Christ. I
1: actually went to the game with a Leicester fan, who was only 10 years old. And he actually said, he said, oh, We've got one of the worst chance and the worst atmospheres in the league.
0: <laughs> Before we get into the game, they would, no word of a lie. They be, still
1: give out clappers for free, you know.
0: I know they do. They would be bottom of the list for stadium atmosphere. I have never <laughs> seen a team win the league title and have such a shit atmosphere in all my life. I'd rather have the Boo Boo than those shitty clappers. As for on the pitch, however, they get the job done.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, I'll keep it short and sweet because it was just one of those... It, it just felt like one of those games. First half, kind of... I mean, there were two great goals, especially the um, Dewsbury Halls one. That was absolutely insane. So to no, be I was going were brilliant. But... Two brilliant goals. There was nothing fluky about them. There was nothing yep. bad about Palace, really, in the build-up to those goals. It was just two brilliant goals. Um, just got to take your hat off sometimes. Yeah, um... We obviously pulled the penalty back. Palace looked good for the last 25 minutes and arguably would have been good value for a point because we had three or four chances, um, albeit some of them half chances, to nick one back. So uh, your
2: your um your favourite goalkeeper in the Premier League actually had a really good game in the end, didn't he?
1: Oh yeah, he did. He did. Yes, he did.
2: I, all I was Show thinking about point. was you when when Schumacher was pulling off these ridiculous saves here and there, and obviously then saved the penalty, then had the retake, and then saved the retake, it, yeah. and it's, it's, yeah, the, the as, as yeah then as soon as as soon as he saved it and as soon as the Salah put it in, he then did the typical Schumacher thing, which if it was the if it was my goalkeeper, I'd be thinking I love you for for that, but when it's the other like, yeah. when when it's against you, you think. oh, fuck's sake, just give us the ball back. He put it straight over him. Zaha went off celebrating. He's thinking, well, hang on a minute, mate. You just missed two penalties and you've gone off celebrating. You're still losing two one.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a big st- fan of Zaha. I uh, thought that was weird. Yeah, that was a bit strange. I, I don't know what that was about. To be honest, I don't know if that was him because I think him and Schmeichel had a few kind of well, they they look like they're bantering each other. So I don't know if that was kind of aimed at him or not. I'm not sure, but it, I, I found that a bit odd. But um, yeah, it was just one of those games. We didn't, the first half was neither here nor there, apart from Leicester's two goals, and I didn't think we'd get back in it. But we got the penalty in the last twenty minutes. We looked like we might get something, but I think, to be honest, as is probably natural, it, you could tell with the tempo in which we played in the first half. I think you know the players did have one eye on Wembley next week, which is given the stage of the season and where we're at the table is probably understandable to be honest it didn't surprise me
0: we've seen crazier things in the FA Cup and fingers crossed there's another crazy moment for you um, at the end of the day I'm never going to sit there
1: unbearable and, on the next
0: podcast by the way if we you won't, won't be on it pardon me you won't be on it why you won't be fucking allowed <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a minute by minute fucking commentary (laughs) what you were doing Um, right let's wrap this show up then with the predictions shall we gets a bit difficult now um, as we get towards the end of the season so not as many games in the league I think there's only if I'm right six this weekend uh, not taking into account FA Cup uh, we won't start with the FA Cup now. Bearing in mind we haven't done that all, all year. So six fixtures, and one of them has already been picked by our missing in action. And you never guess what he's gone and done. He's gone and picked Southampton. Arsenal was his prediction, and he's only gone and said Southampton are winning.
1: I think they're going to drink drinking the oh. tears.
2: 1-0 Southampton. Southampton, he a thinks A little he... bit of uh, respect has come back to Cookie for
0: that. Fair play to you. Yeah, 1-0 Southampton, he said. I, I had to ask him if he was being serious because there was a lot of laughing emojis following that, but he was. Um, so, fair play to him. So, that is the first game, boys. Jason, you said you think Southampton's winning as well? Yeah. Two one. on, him. Two.
2: I'm going to go 2-1 Arsenal just to be different.
0: I, I'm not going to lie, I only because I just can't, it surely can't, it can't happen, but I, I would be so surprised if it's that bad. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it goes 1-0 to Southampton, but I just can't see Arsenal losing this game. I'm going to say 3-1 Arsenal. Um, a bit of hope before the Chelsea sting maybe. Um who's next? I'm happy to go. Bornham.
2: Go Newcastle Leicester.
0: Ooh, okay. I think
2: Newcastle have got this has got this two one. Two one
0: Newcastle. Just. Two one Newcastle just, I'll put. Jase, you've witnessed Leicester. Can you see Leicester doing anything with Newcastle?
1: I'm going to have to disagree with Posse on that one, I'm afraid. And I am going to have to say, based on what I saw, um, Leicester will win. And I'm going to say 2-0 Leicester. I'm going to say
0: 1-0. Cookie says Newcastle-Leicester will be 1-0. My game, I guess i get better give them a bit of hope or or give them them a chance for us to put a prediction out there. Watford-Brentford.
2: 1-0 Watford. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
1: I'm going to say 2-0 Brentford, but that fucking 1-0 prediction is going to come in blatantly, because he's just ended up (laughs) right off the fly. Just to be (laughs) fucking...
0: It was gut instinct, that was... He was just like, bang. Out I have to go with tradition. Cookie feels Watford will win 2 1. Oh dear. I, I, I think Watford know they're done, to be honest. Um, so I'm, I'll give them a goal, but I'll say 2 1. Brentford, I, I can't see Watford picking anything out of that now. I think it's, it's done and dusted for them. Jace, your game?
1: I'll stick to your level, boys. I'll stick to the Premier League. The semi-finals aren't for everyone, are they? This week, right? I, am going go for... I'm going to go for. Tottenham, Brighton. Okay. Four-nil Tottenham. Nothing <laughs> as easy as that. The most surefire result of the season. Four-nil. I, oh, I. Yeah. It better not be the game we slip up on. If you slip up on that, then you can shove your meal up your arse, because if you're fucking going (laughs) to slip up on a game like that and give them points for that one, Jesus Christ. I'll say it's 3-1 Spurs. 2-0
0: Spurs. Cookie also says 4-0 Spurs. Oh, it must be hard for him at the moment. The final one, just quickly... I don't know how many teams we can move now. Uh, You've got one more who's up or down. Uh, We said once they hit 31 games, you can't do it no more. Jace, you can actually move two positions. um, So you can backtrack on those that are on 31. So you've got one more move in you. Um, For me and Cossie, however, we can't move teams that are on 31 games anymore. So, this is where it gets a bit difficult now so i am going to try and move bearing in mind everton are on 30 i'm going to move them down from 14 to 15. i'm going to move everton down
1: from 15th to 16th
0: we have a train going on here
1: and i have moved Burnley down two places, which means Brentford got two places. So Burnley are now in 17th, and Brentford are 15th.
0: So far, I've got the bottom three bang on. I'm hoping it kind of stays that way to an extent. I've nearly,
1: I've nearly got the bottom three bang on. I just need to get Newcastle out of 18th, then I'll have Burnley, Norwich, and Watford. Yeah, right, That's boys.
0: True. Pleasure as always. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 45. Uh, where, 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 episode
1: where are you boys playing this weekend? I Enjoy
0: mean, your weekend, mate. That's I, hope, all I'm you, I say. hope you
1: win, mate. i not, not going to lie. I hope you win. I hope we do, because I've had to give up. What to... I fucking hope you do. I've yeah. had to <laughs> fucking Wembley tickets, All in the name of family and grandparents. What a fucking guy. What a fucking guy. You're a bottle no, job. Mate, you're a mug. Actually, bottle <laughs> job mug. <laughs> I mean, I'm I- going to be looking at you this weekend going...
0: What the fuck are you doing you,
2: here? You've got to raise your family to
1: understand that when this happens... I can still get you, tickets you now. Yeah, We've we got extra allocations. Like, Why, have
0: you not sold out, mate? No, we have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know Chelsea only sold like
2: 7,000 initially. You've got the return of the oligarchs today, haven't you? No, yeah, we
0: have. That's exactly... <laughs> the
2: Russians
0: can't I can't believe <laughs> I'm going to be with you this Sunday for that game. I can't actually believe you're not there. You better be at the final if you're fucking
1: Oh, I'm going <laughs> Mate, I... Don't let mum and dad listen to this But fuck them if we get to the final <laughs> i made no offence But that would
0: have been fuck them with the semi-final Well,
2: <laughs> agreed Completely well,
0: agreed oh, I forgot but me and Jason will be Watching Spurs Brighton And we will be cheering on the same team this weekend Which will be very interesting And then for the semi-final I will of course be in your company as well and I will be a Palace fan that day for you, so we'll we'll return the favour there.
1: Oh, um, good you now watch you on.
0: <laughs> and next week, Mia will be back, missing in action. Cookie back from the pond. Um, uh, seems to think Arsenal's luck will turn on its head now that he's back. Oh, well. Um,
1: hang on. He says that, but then he predict them to lose, and if they do lose, they've lost three on the trot. What the fuck are you talking about? Arsenal mate,
0: Arsenal. So, old boys. Way too much candy. That's the end of episode forty-five, and I will see you for episode forty-six. In the meantime, boys, have a great week, and uh, Jason, fingers crossed, you're in the final for next Monday, mate. We shall see. All the best. For listening to Total Football Debate podcast, we hope you enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could spread the word regarding our show and leave us a rating so we know how we're doing. Also, please, please, please interact with us on social media, especially on Twitter at TF Debate, where we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on any of the topics we discuss each week. You never know, we may even get you on the show to say hello. Thanks again for listening. And keep an ear
2: out for the next episode.